welcome back to Tuesday at Dobbs's. Thank you as always for getting in touch and sharing your thoughts and stories. Best place to do it, comments section below. And if you've got a longer story with pictures, send an email to hi at tuesdayatdobbs.com. I try and share a couple of things every week on the Instagram page, which is Tuesday underscore at underscore Dobbs. This week's episode is sponsored by XL Moto. That's the one-stop shop for all things biking related. And they've currently got one of their own brands, which is Ride and Sons. A little back to work, back to the grind after the summer holidays. A little discount code that I can offer you. I think it's 15%, so I'll include all of the details in the written description. It only lasts, I think, until the 13th of September, so you've only got a couple of days to use it, but they've got lovely retro-style boots, jackets, gloves, and trousers, so go and check them out. I begin this week's episode with, with France, or from France. The title of this article, this was sent over to me by Ian, Apologies, I haven't saved the newspaper name, but this is for anyone who enjoys a Euro trip. The title of the article, and you thought ULES, the ultra-low emission zone in London. You thought that was bad. I won't read the whole article, but in essence, what's going on in France is, from about 2017, they started putting into place emissions regulations into different cities. And everything's about to reach a peak in France, whereby you will have to, if you want to travel to France and go to a city with over 150,000 people, which isn't actually that big, you must, by law, have a sticker on the front of your bike or car saying the emissions standards that your vehicle meets. You, in theory, cannot go to France until you get this. It's a relatively easy thing to get. The only problem with this is that every French town is slightly different. So there are different regulations for pre-2000 model motorbikes and after 2000 model motorbikes. But every town that you may go to may have a slightly different set of rules. Some may say, look, any bike after the year 2000 can go into the town and others may say you can only go into that town in certain periods. So it's going to be a massive minefield. I could read through the whole article, but it gets so ludicrously complex that it would almost put people off biking. I really hope in Europe, in the UK, in Europe, in the EU, in the UK, we don't go too far with this stuff and just completely ruin, ruin that beautiful romance of a road trip. But go and have a look at that French emissions regulations called the Crete Air. It sounds like a, uh, a nightmare with regards to regulations on what you actually need to look for. Gone are the days when you can just head off, pack up your bike and go. No, those days look like they're coming to an end. I continue. Bit of sad news here. Uh, th this was a shame. This is from Nikki. Have a listen to this. Freddie. You may recall talking to my husband a year ago with regards to his rare BSA A65 Lightning. It's a clubman and you were looking to interview him and come to see it. Unfortunately, he passed away unexpectedly earlier this year and I'm now in the process of finding the bike a new home. I'd be grateful for your assistance in passing the message on as you are likely to have more bike fans around who could offer this bike the special home it needs. Here is the link. 
Many thanks, Nikki. Nikki, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. I remember this well. This was a lovely story from James. Let me go back 15 months ago just to give you an overview on this. This is from James, who's, who's very sadly now departed. Freddie, well, I will keep this brief. Six years ago, I bought a BSA A65 Lightning. And while I'm talking about this, I'll put the eBay classified pictures up here and I'll include a link to this bike in the written description. This is an extremely rare collector's bike. So if you're interested, go and check it out. Freddie, I'll keep this brief. Six years ago, I bought a BSA A65 Lightning 650cc parallel twin motorcycle that had been sat for 38 years and not moved. When starting the cleanup process, I noticed original gold paint underneath the bad red paint job that it had been given many years ago. After some research, I found that BSA had made a limited run of just 200 bikes in 1965 of the Lightning in gold trim with rear sets and drop handlebars. I had these in a box of parts that came with the bike. So I sent the frame and engine numbers off to BSA club, off to the BSA club, and it came back as one of the original 200 clubmans. I even got a certificate to prove it, James, that these are ludicrously rare and proper, proper collector's items, even on the eBay listing here that runs out in six days. It's got the confirmation from the BSA Owners Club confirming that this is one of the original, legit 200 ever made. And you can go onto Wikipedia here and check BSA Lightning Clubman. And it says that they were so popular, a huge amount of replicas were made to try and imitate these 200. So to actually have one of the originals is, is so rare to find these coming up for sale. Even Wikipedia quote here, the Lightning Clubman is now a highly sought after classic motorcycle. Nikki, thank you for sharing that and all my best. I move on. Triumph. I got in maybe not a bit of trouble here, but a, a few people are querying why on earth am I recommending Triumph motorbikes to people? Why would I include a Triumph motorbike as bike of the week yesterday after everything that's going on with the Bonneville? Alan messages or comments. Freddie, having spent all summer waiting for a very basic part for your Triumph, I cannot believe you're telling people to buy one. Have you ever considered that this is a ploy to sell more motorbikes? John continues, Freddie, after the trouble you've had with Triumph spare supplies, would you actually buy an 11-year-old Triumph? I actually could have gone on and read out a few more, but I thought that's, that's enough pain there. I'll just do two. It's a really interesting question. Uh, for one, I don't want to let my bad experience with this part. After four years of trouble-free riding, it's been the most reliable bike I've ever owned by far, and also the cheapest motorbike I've ever owned, my Triumph Bonneville, by far. So I don't want to let one admittedly very, very big issue. It's been over a hundred days now since I've had the Bonneville, although the part is here now, the gasket, just needs to wait for the mechanic to find time. I don't want to let that completely put me or other people off Triumph. Look, the, the honest truth is, yes, it has. 
it has slightly tarnished my view on Triumph. The fact that I can't get a simple part and I've lost the entire summer with my own motorbike. If I wasn't so lucky that I could get press bikes, I've still got the classic 350 downstairs. I've lost everything. I've lost trips with my friends. I've lost European trips. I will have had no good biking weather all year if I were a, a person who wasn't doing YouTube videos on bikes. So it's only because of the fortunate position I'm in that I've been able to survive this. Otherwise, I would have had to gone and buy another bike. And if I were not on YouTube, and I would, if I would have had to buy another bike, let's say for 1,500 quid, I would have been seriously angry. And the truth is, I may well have sold the Triumph when I got it back, if I wasn't in the luxurious position I'm in now. Uh, so, uh, so yes, it has, it has slightly tarnished. Breaks my heart, has slightly tarnished my opinion, that's the truth. I move on. Owning a bike with no safe parking. Franco, Franco, this is such a pertinent point here. This is from Franco, I begin. Freddie, about nine months ago I retired and I now have all of my time at my disposal to indulge in any passion I choose. And biking is at the front of the queue. However, I have a problem. I live in a first floor flat in London, in North London, that does not offer secure parking. There is zero protection from the elements and zero protection from tea leaves. That's slang for thieves. I have, just for anyone who, who isn't too sure on that, I have looked around for lockups to rent in the vicinity. I, Remember these numbers, but the council ones, if I want to lock up for my motorbike, £30 a week. And if you want a private one, £40 a week. So in reality, you're looking at 140 to £170 a month in storage. That's 2000 a year. Whilst these sums may not sound a lot to the average person, I have to contend with the fact that my income is now only 40% of what it used to be now that I'm living exclusively off the state pension. This issue is stopping me from buying a bike at all. Help. Franco. First of all, it sounds like a lot to me as well, so I sympathise hugely. I've been in this situation a lot because I spent 10 years living in London and I may well be moving back there shortly. So it's quite relevant for me this. Although I've got a very tight bike storage where I'll be going, although I've had plenty of time leaving my bike outside. This is my tip for you, Franco. Don't overstretch yourself with regards to the bike you buy. Get a, a good middle ground with regards to the value of the bike. And the reason I say that is this. For me personally, Spending 30 to 40 pounds a week on bike security or a lockup, which is 2,000 a year, for me just means it's not worth it. I would, if I were you, leave my bike on the street, make sure it's double locked, and if possible, just put a cover over it. Except that it will be at least slightly out in the elements, or the bottom of the tire will be slightly out of the elements if the cover doesn't cover the whole of the bike, but I wouldn't worry about that too much. Bike covers are perfectly decent. And so long as you've double locked the bike, I think you're going to be 
probably safe enough. And the risk that you may have with regards to theft, if someone really wants to take it and take off two good quality locks, I think the fact that you'll be saving £2,000 a year negates that risk. I think it's worth that slight element of risk. So instead of paying for storage for your bike, buy two very good locks. For example, light lock, where they are quite close to unbreakable. Buy two of those, lock it outside. Don't spend a penny on storage for the bike because a big problem with bikes and a lot of reason people sometimes leave biking, Marco, oh, Franco, sorry, is they find it just starts costing too much money and they start resenting it because of the amount of money they're spending on it. Plus one other thing, if your bike's in a lockup, let's say it could be five to 10 minute walk away, you'll be far less inclined to go and use your bike if it's in a lockup and you have to walk for five to 10 minutes every time you want to use it. A bike must be convenient and easy to use. It must be a mode of transport where you can happily just jump on any day. So go out there, buy a bike well, well within your budget, park it outside, buy two good quality locks and don't worry about it too much. I know that's easier said than done, but don't let worrying about the bike security take over your life. Just accept that if you've got two locks, you've got a very good chance that it will be fine. And I've left my bike outside on and off in London for 10 years or so, going around different bits of London, and it's always been fine. I move on to Sundar. I'll do a few of your thoughts for the week here. I begin with Sundar. Freddie, could you perhaps cover winter riding? The gear involved and what a novice rider should look out for. Many thanks. Of course, Sundar, I'll, I'll keep this brief and I'm going to keep it as simple as possible. For winter riding, I would say all you need on top of your normal biking gear are a set of thermal liners. Just go to, for example, a decathlon store. Buy thermal Thermal pants, thermal leggings for the bottoms, 25 pounds. Thermal top, 25 pounds. Just wear that underneath your biking jeans and underneath your t-shirt, and that will do a huge difference to keeping you warm. And then one other thing, and this is a thing that every single person, I think, to the best of my knowledge, apart from me, had while I was in Scotland doing the tour, and that is a one-piece biking kit. It's just a one-piece overall, completely waterproof, completely windproof, and you can even, even get one with a thermal lining, 80 pounds from Sports Bike Shop. And not only is that waterproof, and you should carry it for every single winter ride, but the fact that it's pretty much completely windproof is a game changer for keeping you warm in the winter months. On top of that, a pair of waterproof over gloves that you put over your biking gloves and that's all you'll need. But always carry, for any winter riding, your one-piece waterproof set and your waterproof gloves and if needed, your thermals. And everything there can pack up quite tightly. That is all you need, I promise you. I move on to Henrik. Freddie, I don't know if you've ever mentioned this before, but what are your thoughts on airbag vests? Greetings from Sweden, Henrik. You know, Henrik, I, I was contacted by a company, I think it was about a year and a half ago, to do a, a video on, 
on an airbag vest. It was for, for YouTube, just to do a little integration. But I just, I couldn't do it because I, I wouldn't wear an airbag vest myself. So I didn't think it's something I could promote. It's just not something that's set up for my kind of riding. I know, for example, you can buy an airbag vest, you can buy even airbag jeans. And I know there are even things that, let's say you jump on a bike and you can attach a wire that's connected, for example, to your jacket, to a sensor on your handlebar. So if you come off, that wire will detach and then it will send a signal to an SOS company who will know where you are and can come and help you. So you've got to have an app, you've got to have a wire attached to your body, attached to the handlebar, and there's a sensor there. So every time you get on the bike, you've got to have that set up. Similarly, with an air, airbag vest or an airbag jacket, you've got to make sure they're charged up or maybe you plug yourself into it. And again, similarly with, with heated clothing, you could have heated gloves, heated jacket, and sometimes you've got to plug yourself in. And it almost, for me, it takes away a bit of that feeling of freedom of biking if I've just got too much stuff going on. So it's not something that's ever appealed to me at all. I'm sure it's brilliantly safe. I'm sure you'll be much in a much better position if you crash with one of those. It's just, it's, it's too techy for me. There's just too much about it. And I want to keep riding as, as simple and easy as possible. So it's not for me, but if anyone's got any other thoughts on that, I'd very happily share them. I'm moving on to Pablo. Freddie, I don't know uh, what it's like in the UK, but in Spain, I always talk about this, Facebook Marketplace for buying bikes. But Freddie, in Spain, Facebook Marketplace is not a good place to buy. There are so many people with false adverts trying to rob people's money. Uh, Pablo, it's the same in the UK, I promise you. You go onto Facebook Marketplace, you type in, for example, Jeep Wrangler you're looking at, over 50% of them will be a ridiculous price, such as £5,000, because people want you to come there and then they'll rob you. So it's the same, Pablo. But if you can get through the crooks and the liars and everyone else, it's still the best place for a genuine bargain. There is, for me, nowhere better if you want a bargain motorbike or car. You know, it's funny, I was selling... My dad's got a lawnmower. He's, got a, he's actually got a sit-on lawnmower. It's a Husqvarna. And he asked if I could sell it. And I said, look, let me, let me put it on Facebook Marketplace for you. This was about two weeks ago. So I put it onto Facebook Marketplace. I think I advertised it at 1,300 pounds. Just, you know, get it gone, get rid of it. I don't care too much about the price. My dad just wanted the space because he never uses it. And the first four people were all scammers. And I'll give you an example of one of these. The first scammer contacted me and said, Freddie, I'll pay the full amount. Tell me your bank details. I'll pay you now. So I initially thought, this is, this is very strange that someone is willing to pay without even meeting me. Uh, so I said, look, it's cash on collection or bank transfer on collection. The gentleman's reply and bear in mind, I looked at his Facebook profile, a picture of him sitting in front of a Ferrari selling business consultancy courses. And his reply to me was, I like to pay via PayPal before meeting because I'm shy. 
So I replied, nope, sorry, it's bank transfer on collection or nothing. And then he immediately left the conversation. Facebook, it's full of fraudsters. Moving on. Paul, Freddie, as you've said before, or as has been said before, your support of the Royal Enfield brand is admirable in comparison to your slating of the Triumph brand. Paul, I think I'm quite fair with Triumph. I like to think I'm quite level-headed, but, but maybe not. Now, I continue. Now, Royal Enfield's supply and logistics uh, at this point in time, from my experience, are a complete shambles. I ordered a super meter in celestial blue in July of this year with a 10-day delivery time. Well, the logistics lost the bike. Eventually it was delivered 10 days late with the dealer having to collect the bike from Gloucestershire Distribution Centre. I appreciate that you are unable to comment as you'll, or sorry, as you'll no doubt be in breach of your Royal Enfield agreement, Paul. Paul, I promise you, I have no agreement with Royal Enfield. In fact, I have no agreement with Triumph or any other brand. Royal Enfield have never paid me a penny and I've never signed a contract for Royal Enfield for anything at all. Apart from when you take a bike, you have to sign a disclaimer form. The only thing Royal Enfield have ever given me, a lovely belt stuff jacket, a sweatshirt, a cap and a t-shirt, but not one penny has ever changed hands. In fact, even when I was in Valencia, I paid for that motorcycle rental. And if I want to borrow a Royal Enfield, it's only because I personally genuinely want to borrow them. They never volunteer and say, Freddie, we're sending you a bike. It's always off my own back. But that is a massive shame, Paul. I, I agree, not good enough at all. I move on. Thank you, Paul. I'm moving on. I had a few people messaging me about this and I thought, I don't want to ignore this. This is about Norton and a couple of people wondering why I never mention Norton. I'll start with the first, and this is from, apologies, I didn't actually save your name, so huge apologies, but let me start with this. Freddie, did you get an email from Norton today? This was about a week ago. Did you get an email from Norton today about their new clothing range? I'd be interested to hear your thoughts because I was initially interested in one of their updated Commando 961s, despite the price of £16,000. Until that is, I discovered they don't have a fuel gauge or gear change indicator. Then I read in reviews that they don't come close to a Bonneville for spec or refinement or capability. Definitely a rich man's toy, which is a shame considering how well Royal Enfield and BSA are doing in the UK as well as abroad. I think the prices of their clothing range only emphasise that they're pricing out the majority of bikers, even those of us who can afford a Triumph. I'll do one more here and then I'll get to this. From the bearded buffoon, Freddie. I never really see you mention Norton Motorcycles, arguably the only real British bike company left. You know, this is interesting with regards to Norton. I took a look on the website. Let me just show you this now. So I was having a look through a bit of their gear and the interesting thing about Norton, all of their gear isn't actually biking gear. It's all beautiful 
smart casual classically designed clothing but nothing actually to do with biking for example i can see here vulcanized harrington jacket beautiful thing 845 pounds another jacket lovely raincoat 995 pounds this is the type of stuff that you would potentially go to the office in in london for example and the bikes i believe around about 16 to 18 thousand pounds for the commando so yes they are expensive and the clothing's expensive but norton are going for a slightly different angle than some of the other british brands they're really focusing on the heritage as the other brands do, the likes of Triumph BSA and Royal Enfield, but they're really pushing the Britishness because the bikes are made in England. And I had a look through all of these garments. Apart from the top three on the list, all of the expensive garments, they are all made in Scotland. So Norton's really pushing this authentic Britishness. And the reason this doesn't bother me too much with regards to pricing, for one, I would actually like to own a Norton if ever I can afford it. That's just the truth. I don't want to say they're overpriced and then I get to a position where I can afford one and I look like a fool because I've bought one even though I'm slagging them off. So if I could afford one, I would buy one. I really like them and I like the exclusivity of them. If I want a cheaper British brand, I will buy BSA or Royal Enfield and I love them. If I want a mid-level one, I'll buy Triumph. But Norton have positioned themselves right up at the top of the market. I'm sure the Commando is probably worse than the Bonneville. But for me, once you get up to that level in the market, and I know a lot of people disagree, it just doesn't bother or interest me if the Norton Commando is better than the Bonneville, because I'm not looking for a bike better than the Bonneville. In fact, I don't care at all. I saw Norton on the website almost selling the fact that the Norton Commando has nothing at all. You have to rely on yourself for absolutely everything on this bike. It's old school, it's stripped back, but it's made in England. And there is value in that. So Norton have taken the top end of the market, the premium end. It's, it's pretty busy down there now with the likes of Royal Enfield and BSA. So I'm actually quite glad they've put themselves at the top and it's the only British brand made in Britain. I, I'm quite happy for them to be there actually. So, so for me, it's, it's not actually too big a problem. I'm just delighted they're here. And I see it as a very aspirational brand that, that they're pushing a genuine British product. And I like that. For me personally, I know everyone's different. I'll do one more thing on this. I, I see the extra value in it being made in the UK. I do, and I would pay a premium for that. I move on. High mileage bikes, I could have gone on and on here, but as I mentioned, all of the Hondas last week that were plus 100,000 mile bikes, I wanted to share the top three from, from you, from all of you. I could have done about seven or eight interesting ones, but here are the top three. And I'll begin with, with VPB. This is a BMW. Freddie, I ride with a friend who owned a BMW GS 1200, 2009 model with 139,000 miles on the clock. No joke. 
He crashed it, so we'll never know how many more it would go on for with the same engine. That's 139,000. Next up, Stephen, just beating it. Freddie, I own a Honda CB500S, which I bought new in 2001. I've covered 140,000 miles. This is insane. Original clutch, silencer, water pump, and much more. It shows it doesn't have to be a big engine if it's a Honda. And the final one from HZ7. Freddie, I'm so glad there's a Harley here. Freddie, my 1999 Harley Davidson. I don't even know what this model is. FIHR has 176,000 miles on her and keeps going. My 1982 Harley Davidson also went through five speedometers and never had engine problems. Very high mileage bikes, both still rolling. Before I get to my bike for the week, what are you all riding and where have you all been? Hiya, Freddie. I'll put pictures up as I read these out. Hi, Freddie. I've recently returned from a road trip from Derbyshire to Cornwall via South Wales and I loved it. Camping at a new place every night. My companion for the trip was a Honda NT400 and she was wonderful. Easily moving at 70 miles an hour with all of my camping gear on her. I'm 19. Tom, it's fantastic to hear from a teenage biker. Brilliant, brilliant. Moving on to Liz. Freddie, I've just done my first long moto camping trip. That is five days and 1,400 miles from South Carolina to my home in Maine. I'm a musician and was on tour for a couple of years when I decided it was time to get off the road. I bought a 2022 Royal Enfield Continental GT650, some rock straps and began my journey home along the Blue Ridge Parkway through Shenandoah, through Shenandoah National Park and then on through Pennsylvania, Vermont and New Hampshire. I know many wouldn't think about touring on the Continental, but being five foot six, I actually found that I could stay fairly comfortable, especially with the upgraded touring seat. Liz, fantastic Liz. Moving on to Alan. Freddie, originally I'm from Wales and have lived most of my life in Australia. We're very lucky to have weather here, or great weather here most of the time, but our selection of motorcycle clothing and bike cafes are quite limited. We currently ride a 2020 Triumph Rocket 3R. Photo is last weekend at a seaside suburb, 30 minutes north of Brisbane city. You know, Alan, when I was last in Australia, I remember thinking the only bike I'd buy in Australia is either a cruiser or some kind of adventure bike, or at least an incredibly comfortable retro, because some of the roads there in Australia, you can do four or five hours of decently straight roads without seeing anyone at all. And that rocket sounds like a very good bike for it. Moving on to David. Afternoon, Freddie. I wanted to share with everyone a 6,300 kilometer, 13 day road trip in August from Toronto, Ontario to Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, and back via New York, New Hampshire, 
It's very similar. Vermont, Maine, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia. Well, what locations? Scenery spectacular, and the bike performed great with 50 litres of Krieger US dry bags on the back. Brilliant. Moving on to Rupert. Rupert and Fanbelt. Freddie, I hired a Royal Enfield Classic from Chiang. It says from China Mai. This must mean Chiang Mai and Northern Thailand, quite cheaply. Thailand has some amazing jungle routes that are on par with some of the best rides in the world. The Enfield was also so impressive that I bought a Himalayan to add to my small collection of bikes and recently rode it around the countryside in Wales and England. And finally, from Tim. Freddie, I've got two bikes in my toy shed. The love of my life is a 2010 Ducati Multistrada 1200S, which I bought new and have only done 16,000 miles on. I'm just about to head off to France and Spain. My other toy is a BSA Bantam D7 from 1961, which just puts a massive smile on the old boat race. For the Multistrada, I have had the big Desmo service done. I mean, this it's big, this. I've had the big Desmo service done at just over 1,100 pounds sterling. You know, these are big services and new chain and sprockets at 162 pounds, but she's good for another 15,000 miles. Regards, Tim. Tim, beautiful, beautiful looking pairing there. Let's wrap it up. Bike of the week. I had to because it's been ages. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done a Harley Davidson since doing YouTube podcast episodes as bike of the week. And after hearing from HZ7 from the US about his huge mileage Harley, I had to find one of these. So there's a, a model, an engine model of Harley that people always recommend me because it's durable, it's tough, it's rugged, and it's relatively simple to keep going. And that's the Harley Davidson Evo engine. It was around from 1984 to 1999, and it is usually, I believe, a 1340cc engine, depending on what bike you get it in, I believe. So I found two bikes that fit the bill. The first one I wanted to do is I wanted to find out if I could find a classic old Harley Davidson with this Evo engine in it for fair money. eBay and Autotrader didn't pop up anything initially, but then I went onto Facebook Marketplace and I found a 1997 Harley Davidson Dyna Evo Superglide that's just been reduced to below 6,000 pounds. This is a sub 6,000 pound Harley Davidson, 1340 CC, legendary, I'm quoting here, legendary Evo engine, standard bike, great condition, 40,000 miles with lots of service history, major 900 pound last service with everything checked, cleaned, sorted. So that is new plugs, filters, carbs cleaned, new seals, new back tire, new battery, new cable or new choke cable with bills to prove. It's got the MOT, it's got good metalwork, good chrome, Vance and Hines exhaust and absolutely all sorted. Engine is rock solid. That at under 6,000 pounds 
is a seriously good deal. And I want to wrap up with one final one here. This is a bit more expensive. And the reason I wanted to share this with you is for one important point. I wanted to see if I can find a cheaper Harley Davidson in the USA. So I went on to chopperexchange.com, a US-based site selling used motorbikes, specifically Harley Davidson's, the one I'm looking at. I found a 1999 Harley Davidson fat boy for 7,500 US dollars. And that translates to 6,000 pounds sterling. Let's say with all the fees, the shipping, changing over the registration to the UK, that will be 3,000 pounds of extra fees. So that puts, puts the bike up to 9,000 pounds. 6,000 for the bike, 3,000 for fees, and it's got 35,000 miles on the clock. But I can go very easily onto the UK Facebook marketplace and find for just under 9,000 pounds, in essence, the exact same bike, but with only 6,000 miles on the clock. Meaning there is now, I would say, with exchange rates and clearly the desirability of Harley-Davidson's in the US, despite the huge, huge amount of them, I would say there's now no point looking in the US for cheap Harleys and bringing them over to the UK because Harley-Davidson's hold their value so well in the US, despite the huge number of them out there, that you may as well just buy it in the UK and save yourself the hassle of even considering importing them over to the UK. And there's one interesting thing here. This is a 1996 Harley-Davidson Softail Fatboy Evo, 96 model. If you want to buy one of these motorbikes, or if, you, if you're looking, sorry, to buy a motorbike in London with the ultra low emission zone, you really need to buy a motorbike that's around 2007 onwards. But can you actually buy a far older bike? Are the older bikes actually more environmentally friendly than we thought they were? Get ready for this. At the bottom of this description for 1996 Harley-Davidson Evo Fatboy, it says, block capitals, exclamation, exclamation, ULES compliant, meaning this bike is quite close to 30 years old, but it's environmentally friendly enough to happily ride into central London without having to pay a penny for the ULES fee. So I quickly went onto a forum here to have a look. What's going on? What is going on here? I'm reading here from a thread. If you run a fairly stock bike, Okay, listen to this. If you run a fairly stock bike and are prepared to pay £175 to have it tested, I've heard of bikes going back to the 1970s that have passed the original Central London Restriction Zone, ULES Compliancy Test. The main problem is that 90% of Harley-Davidson riders have various stages of engine tweaks on them, but I bet your life, if you have a stock Harley-Davidson Evo or similar, it would sail through the ULES test. And it's true. 
you can go out and buy it, pretty much a 30-year-old Harley-Davidson Evo and it's environmentally friendly enough to pass the test. So what that means is that a lot of the time we're actually just discriminating too much against older vehicles, older machines, when they're perfectly compliant to ride in these cities. I find that fascinating. If you've got an old Harley, get it tested. Pay £175, get it tested so you can happily ride in London. And if you're looking for a classic bike, buy an old classic Harley with an Evo engine. It will pass the emissions tests, probably. And I'll leave it there. Thank you so much, everyone, for always for listening to this week's episode. Go and check out Excel Moto if you're looking for some gear and have a fantastic week. I'll speak to you in the next one.